Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast, the podcast that's more 90s than having Kevin Costner as your bodyguard. I always love you, you know, all that. My name's Ash Rose, your host and your guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast, still giving you still alive and kicking. And it's probably still a little bit later than I have planned, but who cares? It's the 30th anniversary of the Premier League. It doesn't just have to be an August thing. We're going to keep going. I've been on holiday, had a lot of work to catch up on, haven't got back to the team that we were doing, but I'm back now to give you another episode of Still Alive and Kicking as we count down the the, the team that was part of the first Premier League advert for Sky Sports, that classic Alive and Kicking advert that we all adore so much that... You know, I named a book and a podcast after it. So it's obviously very important to me. And we are going ahead today as we've been doing, going left to right, classic team formation. We unfortunately, yes, as I mentioned in previous episodes, have to miss a few for obvious reasons that I won't go into again. But we're back today with another episode and we're looking at Manchester City in their representative, Mr. Ian Brightwell. This is quite a long, actually. It was very nice uh, of Ian to give us a lot of his time um, during the episode for this um, portion of of what we're trying to do, trying to get all the band back together, the class of 1992-93. So this episode is Manchester City's representative, which is Ian Brightwell. And before we get to that, um, cheap plug for, well, it's not cheap because it's a plug for the show you're listening to. It's a plug for a brand new, full, proper episode of Alive and Kicking. Yeah, I've got Ed Chambers back. He's uh, he's back in the pub. The pub has reopened, as you may have seen on Twitter. He's been pretty active this week, which means we are back with proper full-length chatting episodes. And I believe, um, I'm hoping I'm not apologising about this in a couple of weeks' time or a couple of episodes' time, but the plan this week is to drop the next episode Thursday evening, maybe Friday morning, but we'll be chatting Football Italia, which is quite exciting, actually, because in five... How long have we been doing that? seven years of this podcast, nearly going on 170-odd episodes. We've never really done an episode discussing Football Italia at great length, which is kind of wrong of us really and, and there have been a couple of attempts to do it it's never really got uh arranged because i want to get the right guest as well because it's it, with these theme shows it's always good to get uh the actual authority you know my knowledge and ed's knowledge is is of what it is but i think sometimes it's good to have someone who's got a uh, niche knowledge of the subject that we are talking about so that is it's all been penciled in and pretty much almost inked in actually um, arranged for this week so yeah um, we'll get a proper full-length episode of the podcast up at the end of the week where we're talking football Italia doesn't mean they're going to stop these the tentative plan right now is while we've still got I've got still got a few episodes left on still alive kicking uh, I'll still drop these and if we can do Tuesdays and Thursdays that might be the plan going forward but as I always say that there are many things that get in the way but that is what the 90s content plan is for you guys and here on alive and kicking but let's get back. Let's continue our journey back to 1992-93, that summer, looking back at that advert, that team, and this episode's representative from Manchester City. This is me speaking to Ian Brightwell on Alive and Kicking. No, still Alive and Kicking. Before we get stuck into the brand new episode of Alive and Kicking, I'm delighted to announce a partnership with the amazing Footy Devotion. Footy Devotion have a brilliant range of t-shirts, coasters, prints and mugs, all illustrated by the amazing team at Footy Devotion and inspired by the 1990s as well, with a special range dedicated to Italian 90. And because you listen to Alive and Kicking, the original 1990s football podcast, you can get 10% off your order. Simply use the code AK90s at the checkout and you'll get 10% off. That's AK90s, so AK90S, and 10% off your order. Jobs are good at. Check out Footy Devotion on Twitter, at Footy Devotion, and the whole range. I've got a few myself. I've got the brilliant 3pm sweatshirt. I'm looking at a brilliant QPR print kit I've got on my wall. And there's loads and loads to choose from, from World Cups to clubs and many, many more. So check out Footy Devotion. And as always, Keep it 90s. Yes, 
cool. Um, yeah, well, before we start talking about sort of 92 in the Premier League, I, I just wanted to sort of preempt that with, you know, how, where you were kind of at Man City at that point. Also, you were there from a boy, you won the Youth Cup in 86 yeah. and, and kind of were part of that City team that rose back to the top division. What, do you, what are your early memories of City and that Cup win and, and, and rising through the leagues? Yeah, well, I started off at the club through satellite teams because it isn't like today where they have yeah. the academies. I joined at um, 11 years old and there was other players like David White, Andy Hinchcliffe, Steve Redmond, um, Paul Lake. And they um, they all went off on to play in the, the first team. But another lad, Paul Moldham, uh, Ian Scott. So the youth team that we had because we all progressed from the age of 11 we signed schoolboy at 14 then signed as what were called um, apprentices back in the day yep. at, at uh, 16 17 years old and um our youth team managers and coaches were people a couple of guys uh, tony book and glyn pardo who played in the great man city team of the 60s and 70s um, they'd won pretty much everything um, as as players, and Tony Buck went on to be manager. So we had great role models with them. Um, and I mean, yeah, we we had a brilliant uh, couple of seasons at the youth team, and we won the FA Youth Cup in in uh, 86. And like I say, seven of the lads that have mentioned, um, and including me, we all went on to play for Man City's first team. And um, you know, and, and careers elsewhere in the in the league and football league. It was, uh, yeah, it was a, it was. I think if circumstances have been been different, um, and we could have kept the young lads together and mixed it in with some older pros, things may have may have been a little bit different in terms of City might have done better than they did up until 2011. I think it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, played with some um, great players, old, old pros as well. When we were coming into the first team, had some great old professionals: uh, Neil McNabb, Kenny Clements, um, Eric Nixon, Nicky Reed. There was, you know, Mark Lillis forward, and it, yeah, it was it was good times, you know, because we were all confident young lads, and we've all managed to play in the first team. And then we had a couple of my first season. Uh, we were in the old first division, which was obviously the, the now Premier League, um, and we got relegated. And we had a, a couple of seasons in in the Championship as our second division, and we came up in that second season again with, I say, the youth uh, youth team lads that had gone. The, the five five of us, was, well, actually seven of us, were still there. So the lads that I mentioned, me, Steve Redmond, Andy Hinchcliffe, David White, Paul Lake, Ian Scott. And Paul Molden, and we got promotion in the 88 89 season. And then we had um, six, seven, eight years in the what went on to be the, the Premier League. And we had two or three decent seasons in, I think it was 90, yeah, between 1990 91. And then we, we finished fifth, fifth, seventh, which, which won't bad, yeah. uh, but we never actually uh, won anything. Um, so up until the point where the Premier League started, you know, it was all up and coming. And, um, you know, we were, we were confident. We had some good managers there. Say so Billy McNeil was my first manager. Mm. Mel Machen had come from from Norwich. And Howard Kendall came in. Oh, right, yeah. And and then Peter Reid, who he was part of the advert, if I remember. Yeah. Not in the, the team photo, but he was manager of the of the Premier League trailer. Um, and so Peter Reid was the city manager at the time, you know, and, you know, great manager. Um, very much in the Howard Kendall um, mould. You know, it's all about uh, team spirit, um, very knowledgeable about football. Tactics and strategy wasn't, a, you know, a massive thing back then. Yeah. You know, it's all, you know, they expected you to be able to go out and, and play football and expected you to, to understand um, where you needed to be on the pitch. <clears throat> Um, so it was all about organisation and getting um, getting the best out of players, and certainly Howard Kendall, Peter Reid did that. Going back to the like the apprenticeship days, I mean, 
it's obviously very different where you either kind of doing the chores, cleaning the boots, doing all that. That doesn't exist anymore. And I find that fascinating. I mean, whose boots were you cleaning and what sort of what things did you have to get up to to, to like earn your stripes, as it were? Yeah, that, that's right. It is. And all the lads that um, you'll probably interview with this will have been the same. You had to do as part of your apprenticeship. You had to do all the well, all, all the crappy jobs, really. You know, you're cleaning the baths, cleaning the toilets. Um, this was all after training, of course. Yeah. You'd train and then um, the, the first team would go home and reserves would go home and you'd be left to uh, clean up after them, taking the kit to the laundry, putting the kit out in the morning, cleaning the boots. And, uh, yeah, it, it was tough, but it was enjoyable. You know, we had some really good laughs. Um, back then, if you weren't in the first team and you walked in the first team dressing room without knocking you'd get almighty stick. <laughs> you know, the first thing, that, I mean, they'd be, you know, putting you, we used to have old uh, wicker baskets that they used to put the, the kit in for match days and training. So you'd have things like you'd be put into a, <laughs> into the big wicker basket, they'd strap it down and then put you under the cold shower for, oh. for five minutes. <laughs> you know, it was some pretty, but, you know, it, it was not malicious. Um, yeah. It didn't do us any harm, you know. It, there was no violence, um, but it, but it was all part of it, you know. And you'd get almighty stick from the first team, but it it taught you to have respect. And if you, you know, once you got in the first team and playing regular, you could then, you know, do things like that to the the apprentices. Yeah. But until you got to a point, and um, in your your career, you know, you had to work your way up and earn your strikes. It was tough. I was uh, boot cleaning. I was on. I was on the manager's um, the coach's boots. Yeah. So I had a yeah. Did he give you a good tip at Christmas? <laughs> Actually, no. Now you say it, they didn't. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> they were. Um, <coughs> excuse me. It was um, so the manager was Billy McNeil. Of yeah. um, unfortunately, he's passed away now, Billy. But he signed me on my first professional contract, and you know, ma magnificent player in his day you know record appearance holder for Celtic and Celtic manager won everything with them including the, the European Cup or Champions League um, Jimmy Frizzell um, was his assistant another Scottish uh, guy he'd come from Oldham but really experienced Jimmy was and great character and then the two because you didn't have as many coaches it's not like now where you have a, a coach for every position yeah. had, <laughs> yeah, the, the coaches were you know, T Tony Buck was also doing the team, who was also the youth team manager as well, which he, he moved up to the um, to doing the first team, which was right. So Tony was doing it and uh, Glimpardo. So I had, and um, the, the physio, physiotherapist, Roy Bailey. And they were, yeah, they were uh, taskmasters, put it that way. And they'd, yeah, if, the, if they weren't right, you'd know about it. Yeah, yeah if the boots weren't right. But again, really good character building um, and it, they, they taught you respect. Um, but they don't do that sort of things now, the young lads. It's, uh, it's a bit more pampered, isn't it, these days? <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure if it's a good thing, to be honest, yeah. because they get it. I don't want this to sound wrong, but I, I think they get too much too early mm. and they don't... The grounding's not there. They, yeah, and they can... You know, they can earn a lot of money. And I've no ob objections with people earning money, but they can earn a lot of money and never even get near the first team. Um, so, but whether that, well, I don't think it will change, but I do think the way we were brought through the system was uh, probably better than it, than it is now. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Um, as for you, Ian, I mean, you're quite a versatile player, weren't you? I mean, I read somewhere that you pretty much played in every position while you are at Man City. Is yeah. that... Something that came naturally was that something taught at that time at that you know those early days or was it a case of you were so, you know you were so talented you could kind of fit in anywhere? What where would you in your head would you say your position was? Yeah, you know what I still don't know to this day. Ash. I think it was <laughs> more of a defensive player. I, I joined yeah. the club. Um, you know, you played for your school and I, I played up front for the school, but I think everyone does, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, I was no good at, at that. You know, I was nowhere near the level that the front guys are that need, if you needed to be professional. Um, but I, I did play in every outfield position at one stage or another in the first team for City. 
Um, but it was back in, um, and it, it even played up front when, um, that was a, the one and only time I played against Brian Kilcline. Do you him? <laughs> yeah. yeah. My God. Um, anyway. Baptism of fire on that one, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, you're telling me. We, uh, I went up for a challenge and of course he was a big bloke and uh, I've gone up for a header. Anyway, on the on on my way down, he, j- he just need me, literally need me when I, while I was on my way down into my ribs. You know, he proper yeah. polarized me. I didn't go off, but I came off after the game and it was, you know what it's like when you get sore ribs. So I went off to the, and he'd cracked my rib. But, you know, he just, um, you know, that was a baptism of five, as you you said. So I only played once up front, um, but in every other position. um, But I found it, I was just happy to play in the team. Yeah. A lot of people say, oh, well, if if you had one position, do you think you could have, um, you know, had a not a better career, but you know, be more established. You know, maybe we've played for England or something because I played under 19s England and under 21s, but I was moving around positions. So, but I don't regret it because I just love playing. And if they yeah. said, well, if they said playing goal, I would have done. And that's a that's honest, that is. Um, but it was, but I didn't find it difficult to play. In any position, to be to be honest, I'd just go out and do as I, as I was told, and um, do the best I could. Yeah. See, uh, uh, when I was in the youth team, I was a centre half. Right. Okay. Me and Steve Redmond played at centre half, and then Billy McNeil and and um, Jimmy Frizzell, they they said, well, we'd won that in eighty five, eighty six at the end of that season, and then Billy played me in the first game of the eighty six. 87 season we played Wimbledon at home and it was Wimbledon's first year in the, the first division with you know Fashionu and, yeah. and Dennis all Wise that, and yeah. all that yeah the, yeah the crazy gang crazy gang yeah yeah but they played me in uh, midfield and for the first two years I played in central midfield you know or yeah. across the, when, when people the say to me in Brightwell I, I would always think of you as a midfielder first that's how I remember it yeah and a lot of me certainly mid earlier career was played in midfield and I was more actually was more attack I say it was up and down but I was more of a attacking midfield and you know making runs forward but then getting back and helping out in defense which um which you know it suited me because I was um I was happy happy to run up and down and and just give the ball to someone that could play yeah. really yeah um but yeah and then as time went on they you know, they play it right back and left back. Peter Reid, I remember Peter Reid when he first took over from Howard Kendall. He said, because he knew that I'd been playing, you know, all over the pitch. He said, I want you to be my right back. And, you know, that's going to be your position. So while Peter Reid was there, I played pretty much most of my games at fullback. Yeah. Um, Brian Horton came in after Peter Reid. And Brian saw me more as a... Um, he started playing three at the back, three defenders at the yeah. back. So I was more of a, either a sweeper or a, you know, one one of the left or right sided um, defenders. And uh, I pretty much stayed in that that position at City until I left the club in 1998. Um, but it, it, sorry, I'm just. I'm oh, no. It's interesting. Before I made my first first team game. Um, Billy McNeil came up to me, and I, this is, the, you know, the, I think it's a brilliant piece of man management at the time. He, he said, "Listen," he said, "I'm going to play you in the first team." I said, "I know it's your debut." He said, "But no matter how you play, you'll be playing the first five games of the season," and that gave me such a like a yeah a confidence boost because you when you're coming into the team, you're thinking, "Well, I might just play one game and not play so well," or he, but he said, you're going to play the first five games, however you play. And he kept to his word. Um, and during that season, I, I was in and out of the team. Uh, Billy actually left to go to uh, manage Aston Villa. But um, but as a man management um, or man manager, I thought that was brilliant what he said. And, you know, I think, um, you yeah, know, managers, if I was 
ever a manager, which I was briefly, but I, and I had a young lad come into the team, I, I'd say that to them, you know, if I, and it just gives you confidence to, to go out and play. I always hear of Terry Venables doing that sort of thing. There's, there's a couple of stories yeah. about him and how he used to slap Alan Shearer when he went through that goal bar and he said, you're my striker. And I think it's a, yeah. it's a fantastic way of confidence boosting for the player. So I can totally understand. And, and yeah, definitely. Role. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you're not up front wasn't your forte, but there's a goal I must <laughs> ask you about against Manchester United. That must, you know, top corner. Are they still, I mean, they still talk about it as City in the derby. I mean, how does that feel, you know, as a lad who's been there since 11, scoring against United in the derby? Yeah, well, I was a City supporter as well as a kid. So to score in the derby game, it, it was incredible because um, we it was the 89-90 season. And we beat United at Main Road 5-1 earlier in the September, you know, of the same season. Uh, then Mel Machen got sacked and um, Howard Kendall came in. And we'd, uh, Howard used to love his little away trips. So we'd go, you know, mid-season breaks. Yeah. Basically, it was, it, was, it was going out on the lash, whether we'd go, <laughs> have, have a friendly over in... It was usually an island or the Isle of Man. That was one of Howard's favourite places to go. But they were really good team bonding trips. So if we had a free weekend, I would say, right, you know, this weekend we're going over to the Isle of Man. Uh, we're going to have a game there and we're going to have a, you know, team building. And it was, you know, you'd go out and have drinks and, uh, and meals. And uh, we, had, we had a game against the Isle of Man the week before. Oh, obviously, on, you're not the the best of teams, but he played me in that, um, in the game and we beat him something like 12 nil. You know, it was a, yeah. it was just literally a, a friendly. Yeah. And, um, he came to me, we, we came back on the Monday morning and then we were back in training on the Tuesday and he said, listen, uh, Peter Reed was suspended for that game and I'd been in and out of the team and Howard came to me and said, listen, he said, I loved your attitude against the playing against the Isle of Man. He said, I know it wasn't an easy game, but I love your attitude. He said, I'm going to play on Saturday against um, against United at Old Trafford. So again, it gave me massive confidence to go into the game and not sort of worry about anything. And knowing that the manager's got confidence in you, you know, it's it's um, it's a huge boost. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the game kicked off United, Clayton Blackmore, Scored for them in the, uh, I think it was the first half. It must have been the, yeah. Anyway, Clayton Blackmore, they went 1-0 up. And then I'll, I'll never forget the game. I mean, you look back at it now and the, the pitches were awful, weren't they? Back then, yeah. you know, you look back on the YouTube. And United was, uh, when they built the, the stands, it wasn't, it wasn't the best anyway at United. Yeah. Main Road for its day was was pretty good for its day. Um, but Old Trafford, it was it wasn't a particularly good surface. There's a lot of sand on it. It was in February. Uh, but I think it was um, Paul Lake took a throw into Mark Ward. He's tried to cross it. It's hit a defender and it's come out, you know, it's just coming across my path when I was outside the area. And all, all I remember, yeah, Steve Redmond was our centre-half, Scouser. And I won't do his Scouse accent. <laughs> but the ball's coming across. And I'm thinking, right, what am I going to do? And all I heard, you know, imagine there's 50,000 people in the stadium, but all I heard was Steve Redman shouting his scouts accent was fucking twat it. He <laughs> <laughs> was fucking twat it. <laughs> so I, I took a, well, I hit it with the left foot, which isn't my strongest foot. And of course, it, I'm a, it, you know, it went in the top corner and I thought, oh my God, I've just scored at Old Trafford. <laughs> um but it was a brilliant feeling because it went in. It was the city fans were at that end, so it went. Um, you know, it went, it went in the net, and you know the city fans they come up and they say, "Oh, like even now, you know, oh, great goal." You know, I was right behind the the goal when it went in because they were all, yeah. you know, not, never forget it because they were all there. And it was it was brilliant, and then after we had an interview. Uh, on the TV, I don't, I can't remember who it was now interviewing me. Um, but he said, um, "Could you talk me through your goal and what happened?" And I thought, "Well, I can't, I can't say what I've just told you about yeah. seeing <laughs> yeah. in it." So I said, "Oh, the ball just came across yeah. and I wellied it." You know, <laughs> 
<laughs> TV friendly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and people, I say City fans come up now and they a lot of them remember that interview and they just say, oh, did you welly it? And um, yeah, but yeah, that wasn't the actual story. What yeah. <laughs> is the most polite way I could think of putting it without, yeah, repeating Steve Redman. Brilliant. Um, before was, we talk uh, about the advert, yeah. I wanted to ask, like, as you said earlier, the season before the first Premier League, you'd finished fifth in the old yeah. first division. What's going into the that season? Was expectation quite high at the club? Like you said, you had a good mix of the, the players that had come through. You had some good vets. You had Peter Reid. I think he was playing yeah. the kind of player manager role at the time as well. I mean, was expectations thinking that you could push on as well at that point? Yeah, they were. And they were, you know, the club was in a good place at the time. Really good place. So Reid did come in. Uh, Gary Megson was playing in central midfield with, with Reedy. We had players like Mark Ward. Yeah, coming. He'd been they he'd been swapped for it was Trevor Morley and um, Ian Bishop. They went from City yeah. um, to West Ham, and Mark Ward came the other way. And that was a big signing because they the fans loved Trevor Morley and Ian Bishop. So Mark got a bit of stick when he first came into the team, um, but he was a top player, and the, the, the fans soon warmed to him. And we signed Niall Quinn. Um, so we had Gary Megson and um, and uh, um, I think Keith Curl had probably been inside. Keith Curl had, had kept, come in as central defender. Tony Coton and Andy Dibble as the keepers. Um, yeah, it was it's a really good mix. And then Steve, there was myself, Stevie Redmond, David White. Um, we, we were all still at the club. Uh, Paul Lake and Lake. Lakey was unlucky because he'd been, you know, he'd been struggling with injuries for a couple of years. Andy Hinchcliffe had left the club. He'd done Howard Kendall had swapped him the previous season. He'd gone, he'd gone to Everton. So um and Andy wasn't there. But it was a really good mix of experienced players, in you know, a lot of them either internationals or ex-internationals, uh, with the younger lads, and we would have been 20, what would have been 21, 22 years old and we'd had a lot of first team games so we were fairly experienced at that time uh, so yeah the ho hopes were really high and um, it was uh, yeah it, it like for me that was probably the best period probably between 19 1990 and 93 94 95 that sort of period was pretty good but certainly the going into that Premier League or the first Premier League season we had high expectations and the fans did as well yeah. because, you know, United, it was still, you know, it's Liverpool, Liverpool and Arsenal, Arsenal the teams yeah. were, and Leeds had not long won something either. And Everton was still a really good side at the time. And uh, United, actually City really were on a par with United yeah. at the time and, and until Fergie got really going. And then Where he was let's talk about the advert and then um how did i'm always interested because <laughs> some of the guys i spoke to i mean ian butterworth thought it was all the captains that were chosen and i i informed him that it, it, that wasn't the case so how did you get involved how you do you remember how you were chosen as the, the man city representative for this new advert from sky <laughs> yeah i was told to by, by <laughs> peter reed <laughs> peter was a manager reed reed his phone me up he said uh my nickname was Bob, or it still is Bob, Bob Brightwell. Um, so he said, Bob, I said, uh, and this was, I can't remember, it was, it was like the Thursday or the Friday, it was really close to the, um, you know, to the advert in terms of time. And he goes, Bob, I want you to go down to do a Premier League advert. And uh, I said, well, I'm not sure I can get down there. Gaffer. He said, Bob, you're going, get there. And he immediately... <laughs> Get there at, at nine o'clock. You can travel overnight if you want. They'll put you up. If you want to travel in the in the morning and get down there first thing, it was on it. That was right. It was on a Sunday. I'm sure it was on a Sunday. Uh, he said it's up to you. He said, but make sure you're there at whatever time, at nine o'clock or whatever it was. So I said, yeah, no problem, Gaffer. And uh, I, I remember I drove down on the on the first thing on the Sunday morning, which I, I live up in Cheshire. So it was it was two two and a half hours or whatever, but I know some of the lads had they stayed overnight and they uh, they'd been on the lash the night before. So when I got there, some of them were a few little bit hungover. Oh, so this is the first I've heard of this. So 
you, oh. Which ones would that have been? Do you remember? Well, there was certainly Carl Bradshaw. Carl Bradshaw right. and uh, David Hurst. They were two because okay. it kind of knew those um, them guys from the uh, you know the England under nineteen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they they for, for sure because uh, and Carl had been at um, uh, at Man City um, in the late 80s before he signed back up at uh, Sheffield United so yeah. I knew Carl fairly well and he's a proper Sheffield lad you know no airs or graces yeah yeah and, I'm, uh, I'm speaking to him next week so I'll, I'll definitely bring that up <laughs> yeah, mentioned yeah to, tell him Bob Bright while I was asking about him <laughs> call him uh, write this down I to take Crowman I used, I used to call him Crowman when he was in the city because he always used to pick his nose and <laughs> Like his crows, <laughs> crow man, and it was we. Um, I went with Carl, and we used to go because the ground, the old main road. It was a you know the old stands. Yeah, they had all the the old rafters in the in the stands, and the pigeons used to go up there, and they used to crap everywhere. And, and the groundsman used to go mad. So anyway, we, me and Carl were talking to him, and he said, oh, "I'd love to shoot these," and we both we had air rifles, me and Carl. <clears throat> Um, so we said, well, we'll bring the air rifles in, you know, when it's quiet, when nobody's about, you know, can we, and they, they were the, you know, the pro, like vermin pigeons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we said, oh yeah, come and, come and shoot a few of them for us, will you? And we did, we had a morning, we shot a load of pigeons for him and then, you know, scraped them up and disposed of them. But yeah, that, that was, um, yeah, so I had some good fun with Carl, but he, he stayed over the night before, I'm sure it was him and David Erse, because they were both Sheffield lads. Yeah. Um, but it was quite, I remember getting down there first thing and there were some big names there. Mm. You know, you had your Peter Beards, Lee's Gordon Strachan, um, Vinnie Jones. Yeah, I was going to ask about, yeah, he seems to yeah, be, Mike, I imagine Vinnie was quite vocal on the day. Oh, he was deaf. Well, he was mates with uh, Carl Bradshaw. They knew each other and I can't, it must have been from Sheffield, Sheffield United. United. Yeah, I imagine, yeah. Yeah. And they were just sat down together and they would be just, they would, they were so funny. They were just, it was like, a, it was like a comedy show. Yeah. And you're just like listening to them there. But it was, it was just, and Vinny, and uh, he wasn't taking the piss out of the lads that were there, but he was just taking the piss. You know, he did, he, he, I thought he was great because he didn't like pick on anyone that was there. Yeah. He was just, he was just funny. Just a funny, genuine bloke. And he had his audience stitches. Um, but yeah, it was it was intimidating because you had people like say Vinny there and all the old established pros, and then the other lads, uh, they were all good or brilliant up up and coming good players as well. Um, yeah, it was it was, um, it was but once once we were there, it was it was brilliant. Yeah, getting yeah. to know each other. Watching the advert back and. Then- there, that's my dog in the background. Must have came up. I mean, there are some that got on lighter than others. I think you're one of them. Like, obviously, there's a lot of shower scenes and yeah. locker scenes. Uh, if you pause it slightly, I do see him Brightwell in the background with his towel wrapped around. I mean, what? How was that like filming? And what? What? What did? How did you get on with that type of, of exposure? I suppose it, it was a laugh. For it. it was. It was like because. I mean, you're used to that sort of stuff anyway, because you do. We did it every day, you know, getting in the showers and putting your, yeah. to put a towel on and just get in the shower and, um, yeah. And some of the lads were, I think it was Lee Sharp was he was on the uh, pet deck on the, you know, doing the weights and he just had us doing little things. But it was, it was a little bit. Well, okay. Well, what are you going to do? And then the I don't know what you call them the 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 crew around the the TV crew. Like to make it look like you're sweating, they'd, they'd yeah. come around and they'd, they'd spray like water on you, you know, so it looked like sweat or oil or, or whatever, just to make you kind of, I suppose, look look better and it looked more realistic. Um, but it was pretty, I mean, it was just such, I just remember it being being a laugh and um, doing what you're told, told to do and just uh, getting on with it. It was, um, and yeah, again, it was. Vinnie Jones was just the, the catalyst for it and he just kept everyone together and um, I say we're all allocated different different things to do. Yeah. I think they gave the more experienced ones, you know, I don't think they were jumping in the, sh- in, in the showers, they gave them 
I think they, they picked on the, I said, relatively younger ones yeah. or the, the daft ones to do the, the daft things. Yeah. And what did the, your other teammates think of it? Because I always think it must be, not, it's not the normal thing for everyday footballers, especially at the time. It's a bit more normal now. Did you get a lot of stick from the, the City boys when they saw it? Yeah, it did, yeah. Because they, they didn't know that it would even gone down to do it because yeah. it was all pretty last minute. Uh, and then, of course, the advert came on, and yeah, some of the uh, some of the stick that I got because uh, I think there was a. I mean, it's, it's only little clips, isn't it? There was I was sort of top half of me was you just saw like my, my chest and and you know they were just giving it you know who do you think you are and all that and, and Tarzan and and uh, it's uh, it's all banter as they used to call it, but. Yeah, when everyone, if you're in the change room, when everyone's giving you a stick, it's, yeah, it's quite, uh, you have to stick up for yourself, put it that way. Oh. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good. It was, a, it was a really good, we did it all in a day. Yeah. All filming in a day. Uh, obviously came back home and, uh, yeah, waited for the for the advert. And, you know, I showed my kid, my kids, at, um, um, my daughter's 17 and my son's 13. And uh, they, you know, they just laugh at it. <laughs> it's so, when you watch it now, it's so nineties and it's so cheesy. Yeah, it kind of, you know, it's thirty years next year, which is why we, I'm doing the book. It's just, yeah, it screams of that era. And you know, got Anders Limpar in bed with his, you know, his actual wife apparently as well. I'm, I've got scheduled <laughs> to talk to Anders about that, so that'd be quite fun. But it's, yeah, there is a lot of the moment moments to it, and yeah, and, yeah, and, and obviously the pictures just so iconic, isn't it? Of all those, you know, the kits were different, the, the song as well. I mean, did they play yeah. the song at the, when you were there? Did you hear? Did you know it was going to be this the life and kick in simple mind? No, I did. Well, I, yeah, I can't remember that being the song. But when it come, I remember we played or City played the first Monday night game. Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to come on to that. Yeah, yeah, and I remember they, um, you know, it was fireworks and it was, you know, compared to now, it was like nothing. But you know, it was all unusual, different for that time. You know, we, we never used to have fireworks going off before the game, and now they're all, um, alive and kicking, going out at full blast on the. Uh, on the loudspeakers around the ground, and uh, yeah, the, cr- the 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 crowd were good. But again, Monday night games. It was the first Monday night game because it was it always used to be Saturday, didn't it? Or 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 Tuesday or Wednesday. But yeah. Monday was so unusual. We played QPR. Yeah, I'm a QPR fan, so I, I remember it vividly. Yeah, uh, and I think we drew the game. Yeah, one, I know we got one one, and yeah. Andy Andy Sinton scored. Who was in the in the advert? Yeah, in the advert. Yeah. I planned that one. <laughs> I know, yeah. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what was that like? I mean, one of the key questions I have asked everyone is, no, for footballers of your era, noticing that change from first division, because I always say the 90s is like the decade that kind of changed football in, in terms yeah. of everything that happened in that in that decade. When did you, What was it nights like that, playing on a Monday, seeing the fireworks, the dancing girls that made you think, okay, the, the, the change is coming? Or was there something else for you that, yeah, I, th- I think it was that Ash, but the I think what changed it, or when you started to really, or what this is what I thought when they first started, because you didn't have your names on the back of the shirt the first yeah. season. No, it was right? yeah, it was the following season. Yeah, yeah, it was when the names came back on the back of the shirts, and you're thinking, well, one, my first reaction was why are they why are they doing that? You know, you you one number one to eleven. Yeah, and you That's look it. on the back. Yeah, you look on the back of the program, and you know, and they, they announce it. So I think that's when I actually realised it was going to be really different. Yeah. Um, but you could tell that they were go- or Sky were going to be going, you know, going for it and turning it into um, something a lot bigger than it always was. You could just tell, you know, things like the fireworks and then all the all the all the cameras as well that were yeah. there because you used to get maybe two or three crap, you know, goal camera behind the both goals and then your main camera on the halfway line. But they were when we were warming up for that first game. You had the I don't know what you could, you know the cameras where they run round and they yeah, yeah, yeah. on a gyroscope and yeah. they had all them literally following you around and thinking you know kind of what yeah. do you do like, well, I mean you just do your normal thing. But it was yeah it was a little bit bizarre when they were first doing it. Uh, but yeah, so you could tell things were changing and uh, the, yeah, it was a season after when they put the names on the shirt for me. What was your was first it. number? I was uh, 12. 12. Because and because I'd got injured I'd, um, during the 
it's 92, 93. Yeah, I'd got injured that season. So I was playing, full, I was fullback. I'd been fullback. So I was number two for, for a long, long time, for probably three years up until the point. And I got a bad knee injury against uh, Reading. So I missed from January, it'd be January 93, would it be? Yeah, 92, 90, yeah, January 93 through to the end of, well, it, it turned out to be a year. So I didn't play from January onwards. And when the numbers were issued, Andy Hill, um, oh, yeah. and Andy was he'd signed from Berry. Good player, Andy was. And he, um, Peter Reed and, and Sam Ellis, the assistant, they played Andy at right back. So Andy got the number two. Um, and I got the number 12. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, I was, I was a little bit disappointed, if I'm honest. But like as time went on, it, it didn't make any difference. Yeah. So I was, uh, yeah, so I was uh, number 12 and the other lad uh, was Paul Lake and Lakey got 14, unfortunately, because he'd been out injured loads, Lakey, yeah. and he was a really, you know, top player. They always say about Paul Lake, he's one of those what could have been, haven't it, because his injury and yeah. he was touted to be one of the next big players, wasn't he, if I remember rightly. Yeah, and he came, he'd been out injured for a while and then he played in that first QPR game. Uh, and he did really well in it because we'd done pre-season. We'd been—I'm sure we'd been to Italy, in the in the mountains in Italy, in northern Italy, and we'd had a really good pre-season. We've come back. Lakey was fit for the first time in probably three years, and he played. He had a really good game, and uh, I can't remember if it was a second or third game. We went to—I think it was Middlesbrough. We played Middlesbrough away, and he's—he'd done his cruciates. You know, really badly. Um, so anyway, he went to Middlesbrough and he literally just fell over. You know, fell over and, and that was it. And he didn't play from that, that day onwards. But he'd have been a, you know, he would have been, he'd, he'd have certainly played for England. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he was in that that era of, yeah, when if he'd have got the injury, the original injury, probably six months later, he'd have been fine because the technology had moved on. Because mm. um, Alan Shearer got one when he was at, yeah, and they anyway. Six nine months later, Alan yeah. was he was fit again. But Lake had got his injury probably a little bit too you know, a year six months before that, and he'd got the wrong wrong treatment, the wrong surgeon, and he never played again. So which which was unfortunate. Uh, I'm so. conscious of time, Ian, so I won't keep you too much longer. But I just wanted a couple, okay. couple more things I wanted to ask yeah. you um, before we go. I mean. Playing with your brother as well, which is always something I find quite unique because it's hard yeah. enough for one sibling to, you know, to make it as a footballer. The fact that your brother did as well, David. I mean, what was that yeah. like for you playing and, and your family? What was it like playing the Brightwell brothers playing for Manchester City? That must have been a proud moment. Yeah, it really was because Dave's two and a half years younger than me. Um, and yeah, he, he, you know, he was a centre-half, Dave, really. He's left-footed as well, natural left-footer. He's Dave's six foot three, six foot four. I'm five ten, five eleven. So you know, it's you know, um, physically and positionally, we're totally probably totally opposite. Um, but he'd uh, he'd worked his way through the youth team, or yeah, he'd, he'd done a, a year in the youth team, and then he'd, he'd signed pro, and we um, we played together, and it, yeah, it was it was good because we'd come from a a sporting background. I don't know if you like my mum and dad would. Yeah, yeah, I read that. Yeah, yeah. So we, so there was a bit of. I say, I remember in the programs they always used to say when me and Dave were in it, it would be always son of son of former Olympic athletes, uh, Anne Packer before she married my dad, Anne Packer and Robbie Brightwell, and you know my dad had won. He was a European champion at four hundred meters, um, European record holder at four hundred meters. He'd won the. Uh, sorry, he'd got a silver medal in the Olympics. And then my mum had got a, the world record in the 800 metres in the Olympics and gold medal, and she'd got a silver medal as well. So, and they always used to say that in the programme, which was a little bit, I'm not embarrassing, that's the wrong word. It's a little bit, well, what you, you know. You, yeah. Um, so, but it, I mean, they were really proud of us and they did, they were brilliant because they, you know, when we were kids and that, like most mum and dads, you know, or most parents, you know, they took us everywhere. They supported us. 
did, they actually didn't put any pressure on us because they they've been at the top of their sport and they never put pressure on us to it was almost like we well, go and do you know we, we used to like playing cricket tennis yeah. you know anything like you like you do um and we just happened to be you know better at football than we were at uh, mm. other things but it was great um but they, they never actually put any pressure on us so i think that helped certainly me and dave because we were in a different sport um i've got an older brother called gary and gary was a he, he was an athlete and he was really talented and they never really put any pressure on him but he when he was uh, 18, 19, he, he came third in the in the national 400 metres and he'd done no training for it. And there was a lad, I don't know if you remember Derek Redmond, he, he ran in the uh, the Olympics, Great Britain athlete. He's, um, he, he did, uh, he was an athlete, but mum and dad never really put any pressure on him. And I think now they might, regret that they didn't because he could have yeah. been really talented but from mine and David's point of view it was good in good oh great in one way because they never you know we weren't trying to compete yeah with what mum and dad was had done whereas my older brother Gary I think in his yeah in his head not their head in his head he was thinking well I've got to do what they have which is pretty pretty immense task but for me and Dave playing football and they just supported us so and to play in the same team together it, it was it was fantastic and Dave Went on to play, you know, 50, 60 games for the first team as well. Yeah. So, yeah, because there's not many brothers yeah. that have done it. So we're really well, proud of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we go, I just want to quickly ask you about sort of the following years. You mentioned, you know, sort of winding down, you suffered with injuries. Um, you came back and Alan Ball's in charge. And I always think of that, that day that City got relegated at Anfield and the, the yeah. miscommunication of what result was needed. I mean... Do you remember that happening? Were you playing on the day? And, and I mean, how disappointing was it to to end that kind of era of City in the top flight? Yeah, really disappointing. Um, and Alan Ball, God bless him, he, he, was, he was brilliant with me. A lot of players, you know, didn't think he didn't or didn't get on with him. Um, but for me, he was he was really good with me. And you take people as you find them, don't you? Yeah, totally. Um, I remember at the beginning of that season, we had a terrible start to the season. It was 90, 95, 96. And we, I think we got one point out of the first 11 games or something stupid. It was like ridiculous. And then we had a really good, really good run. And then going into the last three or four games, we, we knew, you know, we, we knew we had to play catch up when we were, uh, we, were we, had, we had to uh, win the games. And we played at Aston Villa the week before the Liverpool game. Yeah, and we beat Villa away at Villa Park, and it was uh, we played them at Main Road, Liverpool. It was at uh, it was at home, and Liverpool still had a good, you know, really good side, but they had nothing to play for, and you could actually you could actually tell they weren't just like strolling about, but you you could just tell they weren't not bothered, but they, they just weren't like your Liverpool. It was almost like it's last game of the season; they had nothing to play for. Okay, they weren't going to give give us anything, but they weren't going to go out and bust the gut for, for themselves. And they went um, uh, they went one nil up early doors. I think it was in. In fact, they were two nil up within. I can't remember how long. And you know, the crowd was quiet. Liverpool fans were going berserk. And Ian Rush scored one of the goals. But he might have scored two of them, but he, he scored one. And he didn't even really celebrate. Rush, he didn't. It sort of he walked off and went back. So we've gone in and we're two 0 down at half time, and then we came out. We were a different side in the second half. Um, we got back to two uh, two, and there was still plenty of time to play, and we were on top of the game. So we're thinking, and we needed actually we, we needed to we needed to win to be certain. If we'd have won, we'd have uh, definitely escaped it. Um, I, I think it was Coventry was still down there, Sheffield Wednesday. So it was between three, us, Coventry, and I think it was Sheffield Wednesday. And um, I said we, we got back to 2-2 two, two, and the crowd were right behind us. And uh, all of a sudden, we're, Alan Ball shouted, uh, I think it was Steve, yeah, it was Stevie Lomas. Stevie Lomas got the ball. 
and he'd, he'd heard, well, this is the story of what Alan Ball, Alan Ball had heard that Coventry or Sheffield Wednesday, one of the two, or both of them, were losing. They were both losing. So Alan's thinking, right, a point will do us. Yeah. And Steve ran into the corner with the ball and he just like kept, you know, time wasting yeah. deliberately because he'd been told to. Uh, next minute, Niall Quinn, who was on the, the bench, I think he'd come off or... Anyway, Niall had heard something different and Niall, he, we, I was playing centre-half that game in a back three and he saw Niall going, like, ran down into the corner and he's telling, you know, Steve, get on with it, get on with it. We need we need to win, we need to win. Uh, and then the crowd, because the crowd didn't know either why, or most of the crowd didn't know why Steve had run into the corner with it. You know, they were just... You know, we were thinking we were going to get the third goal. Anyway, we, you know, it didn't happen. And it was, uh, you know, we drew the game 2-2. Uh, but we could have, with the pressure we put putting on, I'm, I'm sure, and the fact that Liverpool weren't sort of bothered either way, I don't think, in my belief, if we'd have gone and won that 3-2, you know, it would have been a different story. But it was so disappointing to, uh, you know, just the way the way the game finished because you can't believe it yeah um, you, you're just standing there and I've seen TV clips after and you know because we went out after to you know give the fans a clap and and they all they did all say behind or most of them did and you see us all standing there just outside the tunnel and we've, I, can, I can remember thinking you know this hasn't actually happened I couldn't I, I really could not believe that uh, we'd gone down but you know, at the end of the day, we weren't good enough and we didn't have enough points to to stay up that season. Um, and we had some good players there as well. Yeah. You know, you people like the Niall Quinns and Keith Curl, Gary, Clip, uh, Gary Flitcroft, mm. he'd been sold in the march to Blackburn. Yeah. Now, I think that was a big mistake um, because if Gary had stayed, you know, he was part of the, the spine of the team at the time, top player. And you, you hear stories after and um, it's like Blackburn would have waited till the end of the season. They oh, just thought, they just thought the chance arm in the, yeah. we used to have the March deadline, didn't they? Chance arm in the March deadline. And uh, City um, sold him. So, and I say, yeah, his spine was sort of Keith Curl in, in central defence and, uh, Flitty and Steve Lomas in the middle of mid midfield and, um, and Niall Quinn up front and Tony Coat and Andy Dibble you know usually Tony in, in goal so it was a really good spine so yeah but it is so disappointing but it was the beginning of the season that did it because we got one point in 11 games yeah not a nice day you look back on it it's uh, yeah probably the most Looking at your sort of post career, I mean, you dabbled in management. You have you haven't gone back to that. What what are you up to now? And and was management something you wanted to continue in, or uh, what what is Ian Brightwell doing in in twenty twenty one that that's keeps him busy? Yeah, I, um, so when I finished, well, I, I was at Port Vale with Brian Horton. Brian signed me at um, Port Vale when I would have been thirty four, I think, mm. and Brian had, had signed me. Um, he was manager at Port Vale and he was one of the previous managers at City. So we had a, there was a connection there. So I had a, a season as a player with him. And then the season after, he said, would you be my player coach? Um, and I'd never, I'd taken my coaching badge, badges, I'd got my UA for B. And then he, he said, do you want to be player coach? And to be honest, I'd never had an ambition to go into that side of it. But I thought, well, I'll go and I'll try it. And, and I actually enjoyed it. Um, so I did a season as player manager at Port Vale. Brian then moved to Macclesfield Town, who was still in the football league then. And uh, he said, will you come there with me? So I went there and had three or four years at Macclesfield with Brian. Again, as player uh, coach. I wasn't really playing so much then because I'd been 35, 36. So I was playing a handful of games every season, which suited me. And it suited Brian. So he'd play me if there was injuries, suspensions, or he wanted a bit of experience in the side. Um, and Brian got the sack and they put me in as caretaker and then uh, had four games, but they they decided on, it was on Paul Lintz, Lintz oh, came yeah. Yeah. as manager. So he came and finished the season off. Then he Lintz went off to MK Dons. 
Um, and then Macclesfield offered me the job, um, which I thought, which I'd, again, I had no ambition of being, well, certainly not a manager, because I enjoyed the coaching. Yeah. Because there was, you know, no real pressure. The manager took the flack. Mm. Um, you're a bit of a go between between the manager and the players, which I enjoyed because you can you can still identify with the players, whereas with a, a manager, you've got to be completely separate to them. Um, so, yeah, I um, I took the job. I, I came Asa Hartford, you know, former Scotland and Man City international. I uh, thought Asa was, you know, came as, as my assistant. And um, I think I lasted six or seven months as manager, and then got the got the got the boot. But it was a it was a good experience. But I would I wouldn't do it again. And from that point, I said, no, I'm I'm not going to stay in football. It's just too it's too cutthroat. And yeah. I know life is, but foot, football, football management yeah. is it's vicious. You know, there's always somebody looking for your job. There's yeah. always somebody that wants you to get out. And it's not that many jobs when you think about it as well. Like, no. if you want to stay in the league, there's 92 jobs, which is which isn't yeah. a lot for the amount of ex players who may want to do that. I know there's coaching, yeah. but if you want to be a number one, I always think there's not many jobs. No, there isn't, and there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people that that want that job, isn't yeah. there? At any one time, and there's only you know a certain amount of jobs that are available. So from that point, I, I didn't. Um, I thought I'm not going to get back into it. It's too. It, yeah, it is. It won't for me. You've got to be a certain type of person to be a, a manager or to survive as a manager. And, and that at me, you've got to be so thick-skinned, um, ignore everything that anybody sell, you know, says to you, good or bad. Um, and you've just got to have a, have a drive. And, a, and you look back at it, and I think of the managers that have worked with, and they're all like that. You know, they've just... Football is literally their life. And I had other things in my life as well. Yeah. You know, I've got a young family as well, and it's it is twenty four seven being the manager because you can't switch off because you're always having to go and watch games, yeah. um, decide your team, and yeah, just so much that, that goes on. So I've got every respect for any any football manager, you know, and certainly in the football league because it's it is a tough job, even though they make it people think it's an easy job, it isn't. So I'd, yeah, so I got out of that. Um, so, like now, I've got a, a business. I've got a little property business that I had when I was playing. So I've, I've done a lot of rental properties. Not, it's not a massive business, and um, at the moment, I've got a project. I bought a piece of land, so I'm doing some building a house on that, and going to sell that on. So I keep myself busy doing that. And football-wise, I work match days at Man City. Oh, okay. So they do, you know, the hospitality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so every home game, I go there. And that, that that's really good. I've yeah. been doing that since 2010, 11. Oh, okay. So, well, and so, yeah, so it's come at a time where the club are doing really well. Yeah, you're kind of right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, and it's a brilliant place to go. They really look after us, the club look after us. And they've got ex, six or seven ex-players. There's myself, Richard Edgehill. We played in the uh, sort of eight, eight, well, nineties and two thousands. Then we've got the players like Peter Barnes, from Peter Barnes, Tommy Booth, Joe Corrigan, the keeper, Alex Williams, the keeper, um, Mike Summerby. He, he's the ambassador of the club, so Mike yeah. didn't really get involved in it. Uh, Tony Book was doing it, but Tony's eighty six now, and he's only just retired from doing it. Wow, good on <laughs> yeah, him! Incredible man, yeah, incredible. And unfortunately, um, Colin Bell, who used to do it, Colin, you know, a legend of the club, Colin yeah. died in uh, January this year. So, yeah, so he's missed. Um, so, yeah, so the, the six, so Andy Morrison does it as well. Andy. Oh, yeah. So we we go around the hospitality areas and basically chat football with people. And it's great. So there's no real, real pressure. And we get to enjoy the game. And yeah, so that, that's my football at the moment. Um, which uh, which suits me and then I've got me other stuff outside of football as well brilliant Ian thank you so much for your time I know we've gone over than what I said so no, I appreciate mate. that um, it's all really great so thank you very yeah. much and it's been, okay. uh, been a pleasure yeah cheers mate thanks good thanks a lot have a good yeah. day yeah you bye see ya.